You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. It says in verse 6, When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. So the picture is the Israelites are just hiding wherever they can from this overwhelming force of angry Philistines. And then the military is retreating back. And the people aren't just hiding, but they're leaving. They're going to, other, to another land that's safer, away from the Philistine lands. And it says here, middle of verse 7, As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling, trembling. So this is an overwhelming situation, and they seem to be moving backwards here. Remember that Joshua, well, starting with Moses, they came up from the south to the Jordan River where they miraculously crossed, and then they camped at Gilgal, and from there they conquered the land. And now the enemy's fighting back here, and the people are receding back back into Gilgal, back across the Jordan, backwards, backsliding, backwards. And they're in fear because they're in doubt. And so here, Saul is in Gilgal, or verse 8. It says, then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. Now, you may remember in 1 Samuel chapter 10, when Saul is first being called to become the king of Israel, Samuel gives all kinds of confirmations, and Saul has this incredible prophetic day where Samuel says, hey, you know, go down. I don't remember all the details to tell you the truth. Maybe you, some of you remember really well from chapter 10, but he goes down, and there's someone with three loaves of bread, and there's a wine skin, and, and all of these things, and it all happens perfectly. Well, when Samuel was giving this prophetic word to Saul of what was going to befall him all that day, he says this in 1 Samuel 10, 8, you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So this is part of that prophecy of what is going to happen. And so Saul knows from a prophetic word that this, this is how it's going to come down and that I am to wait. Man, it's hard to wait sometimes, friends, when it seems like everything's falling apart and God says, wait. You know, there's times when God says, go now, act. And we might be in our flesh tempted to hold back and not go. And there's other times where God says, wait, but everything in our flesh screams out, no, I must act. I got to work three jobs to make ends meet. I must act. 
It's okay that I never see my family. We never go on vacations, and all my relationships are suffering, and I'm just angry and tired all the time. Because I have to act. I have to make it happen. And God's saying, no, trust me, step back. Pray. Ask for deliverance. Prioritize, you see, in faith. And so Saul is in this situation where it's time not to act yet, not to go out like he did in Jabesh Gilead with that righteous indignation and we're going, but to wait on the Lord, to wait on the Lord. You see, this is another setup like Jabesh Gilead where if Saul waits here, you see, he's going to see the power of God come but he's to wait. It's his moment of decision. It's a moment of all opportunity. And we, we would hope that we would be able to read one day the story of Saul and how he became a hero of the faith because despite all of these circumstances, with an army that's melting away from him, with people that are leaving the land and everybody hiding in the thickets, in the hills against an overwhelming army. He trusted the Lord. He waited on the Lord. He waited and Samuel came and sacrificed. And they prayed and they cry out to God and there was a great victory. But that's not what happens here. You see, Saul's moment to be a hero of the faith, he instead becomes a zero of the faith. Let's read on. It says, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me, and he offered the burnt offering. You see, kings aren't to offer the burnt offering. This was the role of the priest, and this was very specifically laid out in the Scriptures, which Saul knew. Verse 10, now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. This is Murphy's Law. There is such a thing. You know, when you're a kid, you remember you got caught in the act. (laughs) You're tempted for an hour about putting that hand in the cookie jar and you don't do it, don't do it, and the hour passes and you go to do it and there comes mom around the corner. (laughs) My dad always said, Christians always get caught, you know, and here he, he waits, he waits, the seven days pass, he panics, he decides I have to do something here, and so he does in disobedience to God, in impatience and in panic, and Samuel, in that if he had only waited another hour or another two or whatever it be, Samuel would have showed up and everything would have been just fine. But he doesn't. And so instead he, he does his, his deed. And then Samuel's coming and he goes out to greet Samuel like nothing's wrong, to bless him. Verse 11, and Samuel said, what have you done? Those are Samuel's words as Saul comes, hey, Samuel, it's great to see you. And Samuel says, what have you done? This is an opportunity for Saul to own his mistake. 
and to say, here's what I've done. I panicked. I was impatient. I freaked out. I did something I shouldn't have done. I'm sorry. You know, it's, when we studied Saul, poor Saul, I don't know if we're going to see him in heaven or not. I've heard different teachings on this, but if he's in heaven, <laughs> oh, Saul, <laughs> you know, because his whole life is, is kind of an exposition on, on the flesh and, and what we struggle with. Because we can relate to Saul, can't we, in this story? Man, we've been overwhelmed with finances, with health, with this, that, or the other. And we've jumped out in front of the Lord and we've done things that, man, I blew it. I should have waited on the Lord. And we find that the blood of Jesus Christ comes and covers that. Praise God. And there's new beginnings and there's a new start and there's chance for repentance. And we're so thankful for that. But Saul here is kind of this, you know, he's humanity. He's sin nature. He's our inclinations. But we need to act in the divine nature according to the Holy Spirit living inside of us and empowering us. And so here he is. He does his deed. And then uh, we're in... Verse 11, and Samuel said, what have you done? Here's Saul's response. Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. Saul is presenting excuses. He's trying to justify himself in his act of disobedience and panic. And so, again in verse 11, he says, when I saw the people were scattered from me, he felt like he had to act to get them back. They need a decisive leader. They need a public showing of leadership. And so I took the bull by the horns and I gave them the leader that they needed so that they wouldn't flee. And the Philistines, oh, I'm sorry, the next one says, and that you did not come within the days appointed. Now he's blame shifting. It's your fault, Samuel. Where were you? You were late. I'm not the problem. You're the problem. I'm the victim here. And he takes on that victim mentality and shifts the blame to somebody else. Isn't this what Adam and Eve did? And we think of Aaron when he built the golden calf and he shifted and, and tried to explain away. You know, it's the people, they made me do it. You should have seen it through the golden and this golden calf came out. Man, that guy, he had a big story to tell. And so Saul here is not repentant. He's just making excuses. And then it says, and the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. There was an enemy too powerful for me. I had to act quickly. In verse 12, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and have not made supplication to the Lord. The interesting thing here is that there is no mention of him actually making supplication to the Lord. Supplication is prayer. 
He's not crying out to God, help, Lord, we're overwhelmed. Like, remember Jehoshaphat when he was in a similar situation, and there was an overwhelming army coming against him, and he cried out to the Lord, and he said, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God said, hey, take the musicians and the worshipers and the priests and put them out front. That's strange, but okay. And then God did a great miracle and saved them from this overwhelming army. And so Saul here is, is just, he, he's saying, I made supplication, but he didn't. What did he do? He made sacrifice. He went through the physical act. He was being a religious person. But there's no indication of relationship. It was just, let's kill the animal. Let's burn it up on the altar. And then we'll go into battle. It's the same mentality earlier that we're going to just take the Ark of the Covenant and go out into battle like a superstitious relic rather than let's cry out to God relationally. God, you're my heavenly Father. All good things come from you. You are powerful and mighty to save. God, we're looking to you. We need you, Jesus. Help us, God. We don't see any of that in Saul. But he puts a show of that to Samuel. Oh, I had to make supplication. He's trying to look more spiritual than he actually is. And then he says, therefore, I felt compelled. The devil made me do it. And offered a burnt offering. So in his impatience, which we can all relate to, I can't even imagine being in his situation. He acts in the flesh without faith, without prayer, or giving God a chance to work. The enemy was still 10 miles off. It's going to take them a little while to get there. And he tried to justify and even make it seem like he was more spiritual. Verse 13, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly, meaning you've acted the fool, meaning you've acted like an unbeliever in this situation. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. He was disobedient. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, we get uh, a description of what the behavior of kings is to be uh, from Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says in verse 18, also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. So the king was actually to sit down and write for himself a copy of the Bible as it was written to that point. And then he was to read it every single day of his life. You think Samuel let this one slip by for Saul? I don't think so. And so whether Saul was actually doing it or not, I would suspect not, maybe he had a good start. I don't know, that's, that's just conjecture. But at any rate, he knew. He knew better. This was not a matter of ignorance. This was disobedience. 
and why is it that God wanted them to write a book of the law for themselves and read it every day? Verse 20, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. You see, God wants us to be in his word every single day, friends. Let's not let a day pass where we're not reading the scriptures, we're not listening to God, we're not taking in what it is he has to say, because there's power in the word of God. It's transformative power, and it helps us and comforts us, and it builds our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so when the challenges come, when you get the prognosis, when you get the unexpected bill in the mail, when the family is falling apart, we don't lift ourselves up above our brethren in pride. When the attack comes relationally and our pride wants to fight back and defend ourselves, defend our flesh, defend our reputation, you, nobody talks to me that way, that kind of thing. Let's be close to Jesus. Let's be in the Word. Let's clothe ourselves in humility as Christ would. And so Saul knew better, and he gives in to his pride that he can somehow solve this, and he pulls the trigger too early. And so it says this in the middle of verse 13, Samuel continues, and he says, For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, meaning a man that would pursue the heart of God, a man of faith, a man whose heart was aligned to God's heart. We'll find that this man is David, but not perfectly. That this is Jesus. This is King Jesus, who is the ultimate fulfillment the perfect Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and our high priest. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now, I will say that I believe that this is ta a tacit invitation to repentance. And perhaps the Lord would relent if Saul humbled himself and said, I've sinned. I'm sorry. We see this with Moses when God said to Moses, move aside, Moses, I'm going to toast the people. And Moses interceded for the people, and God relented, and he didn't toast the people, you see. Now, God knows exactly how Saul will respond. And this is where his sovereignty comes in, and Saul does not respond in repentance. There's no mention of it. We just move on with the story. And so as we get into, into verse 15 here, the Lord is now setting up for Jonathan's great act of faith. You see, Jonathan is going to be presented in contrast to Saul. 
Saul's failure in this moment is going to be accentuated by Jonathan's great victory that we're going to study next week. So we're setting up the scene for this in verse 15. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him about 600 men. Big jump down from his 3,000. Verse 16, Saul, Jonathan his son, and the people present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. And so Samuel leads them from Gilgal around to uh, Gibeah and perhaps Geba, which may be um, another name for Gibeah of Benjamin. Scholars seem unsure about that. But at any rate, the two armies are now both on high ground across from each other. Samuel brings them closer to the battle. And we're no longer running. We're coming towards the enemy. And in verse 17, then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. They had to get supplies for the big army. One company turned onto the road of Oprah to the land of Shul, which is to the north. Another company turned to the road of Beth Horon to the west. And another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness to the south. In verse 19, now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords and spears. This is gun control. Verse 20, but all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the, and the charge for a sharpening was a pim for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. So these were tools they needed to be industrious. And they would have to go down and pay a tax to have their, their tools sharpened. And they all cried out, no taxation without representation. No, they didn't do that. Verse 22, so it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. So notice it says here, it came about on the day of battle. It's time for them to fight the Philistines. They've got 600 men against an innumerable number of Philistines. And it seems quite hopeless, but God, but God. And their weapons, what are their weapons against the chariots and the advanced weaponry of the Philistines? They've got plows, and they've got goads for poking cattle, and they're going to go fight. Hopeless, but God. And it says, verse 23, and the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. Here they come. So this is the first mention of Jonathan, as I've said. Saul failed in his hero of the faith opportunity. Jonathan would have victory and go down in the annals of Judeo-Christian history as a great hero of the faith because of what he does as we study next week. So make sure you come back next week to get the rest of the story, friends, because that's the fun part. <laughs> yes! And friends, let's not give in to the flesh and be like Saul in this situation. This is our tendency. It's our tendency. But we have the divine nature, and we can cry out to God for help. 
just take that step towards him. Begin to cry out to the Lord for your relationship. Cry out to the Lord for your financial situation. Cry out to the Lord for your health. And watch him do incredible miracles. Miracles as we cry out to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we cry out to you for our nation. And God, we don't want to be like Saul in this situation. Despite our tendency, we want to have the divine nature. So we cry out to you, Lord God. We pray that you would save our nation, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would turn this around, Lord God. And come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because more and more, we begin to lose all hope except for your return. We see the signs of the times. You're coming back soon, Jesus. Come back, Lord. You're ultimately our Jonathan, our David, Lord. You're the hero. God, make us heroes of the faith. You said, when you return, will you find faith on the earth? God, find faith in us by your grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.